Hello, hello. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lee, clinical immunologist, allergist in Toronto, Ontario. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the five things that your previous allergist was likely wrong about. Um, so, through no fault of their own, the evidence has changed a lot. Uh, every year, our understanding of medical conditions increases, and sometimes there are huge seismic changes in our understanding based on the latest available science. So a lot of my job when I see patients is to undo some of the misinformation that's been created and uh, given to the patient uh, in the past. So I'll start with my list of biggest pet peeve misdiagnoses or uh, things that have been done incorrectly in the past. Number one, chronic spontaneous urticaria or chronic inducible urticaria. So hives are like mosquito bites. They're often small. They can be big. Sometimes we call them giant hives or they're pinpoint, uh, which is a certain variant of hives. One common thing to all of them is that when you press on them, they turn white and they often don't last more than a day. Often they last minutes or hours. When they go away, they almost always leave normal skin behind. Now, hives tend to occur in your 30s to 50s and women get it at about double the rate as men. Now, these rashes are the same hives that you get in a food reaction or an allergic reaction. So here's the big misconception, that when patients have hives, that it must be some kind of food allergy or an allergen that they don't know about. This is often not the case. It turns out when you get hives, more more days than not for over six weeks, it is almost never a food allergy. For it to be a food allergy, you would have to be eating that food every time you get the hives, which is clearly not the case. There are different patterns of hives, but one uh, breakthrough that changed the paradigm was in 2011 when uh, papers showed and proved that some people actually react to their own body's thyroid peroxidase. Um, So this is an enzyme in your thyroid gland that is involved Um, in regulating your thyroid hormone levels. It turns out that some people actually form allergy antibodies to this, and they're de facto having an allergic reaction to themselves. Other studies previously to this have shown that there's a different kind of antibody, an IgG antibody, that can directly turn the cells that cause hives on. These are called mast cells. Now, it turns out now in 2018 and 2019, Further breakthroughs have come. We have now identified more than 200 of these autoallergens or self-allergens that people with hives tend to have. Now, so really, in effect, you're not reacting to an external allergen. Your body's reacting to an internal allergen. Something from within you is turning these cells on. Huge paradigm change, and there is no uh, need in most cases to do any skin testing because it's not an allergen. That's my pet peeve number one and the common misdiagnosis. So if someone has given you like a list of 20, 30 different foods to avoid in the past based on you having chronic urticaria, chances are that it may be wrong and may be uh, time to get it reevaluated by an evidence-based allergist. Number two, a big paradigm change. Uh, this is more recently in 2019. Um, our global asthma guidelines called GINA have just changed and fundamentally changed how we manage asthma. We used to think that mild asthmatics can take 
a rescue inhaler, something like Ventolin, on an as-needed basis. So that's largely been removed, and the uh, studies that preceded this were called Sigma-1 and Sigma-2. These studies showed that an ad hoc use of inhaled steroid in combination with a bronchodilator, uh, often a fast bronchodilator like Fomaterol, um, can be used to try to treat asthma based on symptoms. And the symptoms are wheezing, coughing, shortness of breath, chest tightness. Ideally in Canada, again, the numbers are different for every country, including the US who like the number two. In Canada, we like the number four. You should be experiencing this less than four times a day during any given week and less than one time a week at any given week. So if you have these symptoms, you treat with this on an intermittent approach. That is preferable to treating with just Ventolin alone or something like Salbutamol or Albuterol in the US because this leads to less severe exacerbations and less problems and less likelihood of requiring something like an oral steroid, which is way worse for you in terms of side effects than an inhaled steroid. So the number one misconception that really annoys me is when patients are taught uh, to only use the inhaler when they have a cold or something like that, that really flares up their asthma. If it turns out that you don't treat your asthma and if it's not controlled at all times, your lung function actually declines over time at a much faster rate than that of someone who ha does not have asthma. In fact, you behave more close to like a smoker in terms of losing lung function than a non-smoker with normal lungs. So it's better to treat the asthma and have it under control because in 10 years, 20 years, you will really notice the difference in the decline of your lung function. It's not something you notice from month to month or even week to week, but over a cumulative lifetime, it does lead to better outcomes. So that's my uh, biggest pet peeve number two, is that when people are told to stop their asthma uh, inhalers prematurely or to try to use it sparingly, uh, when in fact they really should be titrating it to the amount of symptoms they have. Of course, all treatments have side effects and uh, the risks and benefits have to be outweighed, but it's fairly clear in asthma that uh, inhaled steroids uh, are the mainstay of treatment and it's the best way to preserve your lung function. The other thing that people get confused with the, with the asthma issue is that um, people think that in the setting of an infection, uh, steroids can be bad when the studies have shown the opposite, in fact. In an asthmatic, if you have asthma, uh, the steroid will actually help reduce the duration of your illness and um, really shorten your uh, what we call morbidity. So I myself uh, was kind of the victim of this because my doctors have always told me this as well, uh, not realizing that I had moderate asthma. And I remember even in med school, I was getting this advice and taking a lot of time off from school and uh, classes just because I really couldn't breathe. So big misconception. Number three, and this is a big misconception out there that uh, in fact, for some people, it's the biggest pet peeve, but for me, it's kind of on the number three scale, is using older antihistamines like chlortripolon or Benadryl to treat allergies. There's this thought out there that these are superior or better antihistamines and that they are safer. Um, so I will grant that they've been out in the market for a very long time, but they're certainly not safer, nor are they more effective. 
In fact, when you use a drug like Benadryl, it has a very short half-life, meaning it doesn't stay in your body very long. And it's a dirty drug. And by that, what I mean is it doesn't just hit antihistamines. It treats all sorts of receptors or hits all sorts of receptors, goes to the brain and makes you very tired, groggy, interferes with your uh, sleep cycle so you don't feel rested. So, in fact, you feel actually a little bit more uh, uh, depressed, well, not in the clinical sense, but more down, less energy. And these are symptoms that you don't really want to have pile on top of allergies because allergies in themselves can contribute to uh, sleep disturbance. So they're not superior. You just notice the symptoms less while you're on these medications. The newer second generation antihistamines are far better. So this is like reactant in Canada or Zyrtec in the US. Um, they are also uh, safer in terms of heart conduction issues and uh, long-term effects of using them chronically. So some of the older antihistamines have been linked uh, with epidemiologic evidence of contributing or uh, increasing the risk of Alzheimer's. So you definitely uh, want to avoid them if at all possible. Now, emergency doctors, uh, for some reason, still love Benadryl, maybe because it's in IV form, uh, but uh, there is no need for Benadryl in the vast majority of cases. In fact, I cannot think of one reason, except maybe giving it parenterally or intravenous route, uh, where Benadryl would be the preferred antihistamine. So that's pet peeve number three. Uh, pet peeve number four um, <clears throat> is, again, a very common uh, misconception, is that if you are allergic to one nut, uh, you should avoid all nuts, or if you are allergic to peanut, you're, you should avoid all uh, tree nuts. Again, this comes from a medical legal advice uh, in terms of reducing risk. There's all sorts of slogans out there like, you know, why take the risk, uh, blah, blah, blah. But it turns out that when you avoid a food for a prolonged period of time, your chance of actually getting an allergy to that food increases. So really, the, the advice should be individually tailored. For children in pediatrics, we often do say if you have one or two nut allergies to avoid all nuts because children are developmentally at a stage where they cannot uh, distinguish different nuts and may get confused. Um, and it is actually safer in, that, in certain situations like that. So peanut is a legume. Sometimes, if depending on the allergen that you are reacting to uh, within the peanut, there will be cross-reactivity to some tree nuts and other uh, foods. However, again, this advice really does need to be individually tailored and assessed. You cannot make one generalization from one patient to another because it may not be the same part of the protein that people react to. So blanket advice like this actually leads to more problems. In fact, as you know, um, you know, I'm getting to my other pet peeve, which is related to this. Doctors used to indiscriminately say introduce f uh, foods uh, after the age of two, including peanuts, because it's an allergenic food. Uh, this actually contributed to the rising prevalence rates of peanut allergy and turned out to be completely the wrong advice. So if someone, uh, if some healthcare professional or doctor uh, is giving, still giving me this advice to delay introduction of foods uh, when your child has no risk factors for having a food allergy, uh, this is uh, entirely the wrong advice. Now, uh, having severe eczema uh, is a potential risk factor for having food allergies, and it is best to see a, a, um, 
uh, board certified or FRCPC clinical immunologist allergist to help you uh, introduce the food and or uh, help you uh, help counsel you on how best to go about doing this and if you're anxious really see a doctor who is knowledgeable in this area because the last thing you want to do is unnecessarily avoid things which again I will stress increases the likelihood of getting that food allergy the um, last uh, pet peeve uh, it really applies to uh, a lot of physicians um, is the overuse of prednisone I touched on this in my last episode with uh, um, the use of prednisone and the side effects prednisone is one of these medications again it's very old historically it's been around forever it does treat a myriad of conditions but if someone is treating your asthma and urticaria constantly with uh, oral steroids this is uh, I think not optimal in this day and age uh, for the conditions that I treat of asthma eczema and urticaria uh, and even rhinitis, uh, for that matter, uh, oral steroids or depot steroids should really not be an option. There are many treatments out there, including biologic and targeted treatments, that are much safer and better for you. Not only are they more effective, they're also way, way safer and don't have the serious side effects. For more on the side effects of prednisone or oral steroids, look at my uh, previous or listen to my previous podcast uh, on this very topic. Now, um, you know, just this week, I saw two patients who were getting uh, depot or injections of steroids that last like a very long time. I, you know, was very frank to these patients that this is really a last resort and for the average person this should not be used I, you know it borders on malpractice so don't do this even though it controls your symptoms there are better treatments out there including a whole slew of uh, drug and non-drug options there's a whole slew of allergen immunotherapy that can help you with this um, or there are biologics again now for most of these conditions that really negate or remove the side effects of steroids. Thank you very much for season two. I'll be back with season three very shortly.